0: It is Thanksgiving, and I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to on Thanksgiving. And than the great Dave Ramsey, he's helped so many people who are in financial straits make their lives better. And, and in doing so, has taught so many Americans to be grateful for the free system in which we live. He has a brand new book out. It's called Baby Steps Millionaires. Dave, thanks so much for joining the show. It's great to see you. Well, it's an honor to be back with you, my friend. So let's talk a little bit about Thanksgiving generally because you know again I think that one of the things Americans don't appreciate enough I mean first of all we don't appreciate everything enough but I think one of the things that we don't appreciate enough is that in a, we live in a system where if you make responsible decisions you will see the benefit of those decisions and that really has been your entire message throughout your entire career
1: well it has been and it's upsetting to the uh, wealthy equality crowd the socialism Drum that's being beat right now in America. But um, all along, even when I was young, and now that I'm old, it's still true. uh, The greatest system that the world has ever known for the little man to get ahead is the current state of America today. The little man has a better chance. I've been a millionaire twice. That's how dumb, I'm, I'm so dumb. I had to do it two times, you know, and, and so the, you got two shots. I mean, you, you got an ultimate shots at it. And so but it's all about me taking responsibility and me making decisions and me understanding that you're going to reap what you sow. So if you put corn seed in the ground, don't be shocked that corn grows.
0: So let's talk for a second about how you define millionaire in this book, because it's kind of interesting, right? There are a bunch of different ways in the United States we define millionaire. You can do it in terms of income. You could theoretically do it in terms of wealth. So how do you define millionaire in this book?
1: Well, there's technically only one real definition. Uh, There's definitions that have agendas. Uh, Like, uh, for instance, you hear politicians say that a millionaire is someone who makes a million dollars a year. That is not the definition. There's an accounting finance definition for millionaire. It's fairly simple. Assets minus liabilities, what you own minus what you owe when that equals greater than a million dollars you are by definition of a mil- you are by definition a millionaire it's not a moral construct it's not a decision of if that's enough or not enough or too much it's not any of those things it's a math equation what you own minus what you owe and how many americans
0: actually are millionaires because one of the things that we see politicians play with is this idea that you can never get ahead no one's a millionaire but one of the things that we see is people accruing generational wealth over the course of their lives not by being Elon Musk, but by simply working hard and making smart decisions with with their money. My parents are examples of this. My parents were never wealthy when I was growing up. We grew mm-hmm. up uh, until I was 11 in a, in a, a two bedroom house. There were four kids in the house. One bathroom was like eleven hundred square feet. And then they gradually traded up to a slightly bigger house where we had our own bedrooms. And, and now they are millionaires by, by the stats because they're in their 60s and they saved money for their entire life and didn't make dumb decisions with money.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what occurs. There's somewhere around 13 million millionaires in America today. Uh, we completed a couple of years ago at Ramsey in our research department, an airtight piece of research, the largest study of millionaires ever done. Over 10,164 of them were surveyed, and we did in-depth discussions with them to find out exactly who they are, demographically who they are, uh, you know, where did their money come from, what are their uh, careers, all those kinds of things. Here's what's interesting. We have proven now statistically, again, with the largest study ever done of millionaires, that 89% of the millionaires in North America today did not become millionaires because of inheritance. As a matter of fact, 79% received absolutely zero inheritance. 5% received a very small inheritance, $5,000 from their grandmother or something like that, not enough to make them a millionaire. And another 5% received substantial money after they were already Millionaires, like a friend of mine, you know, he's got a 1.2 million dollar net worth. Uh, his parents passed away after he was already a millionaire, left him 250 thousand more, so now he's 1.45.
0: And I think that people fail to understand that because when you see again politicians talk about this stuff, they seem to suggest that everybody who's wealthy in the United States inherited their wealth, and that the middle class has completely disappeared, and that what what they're failing to recognize is that. Over the course of the last 40 years, the reason that the middle class has quote unquote disappeared is because most of the people who are middle class became upper middle class or wealthy.
1: Well, and the definition of middle class has completely changed. In 1960, middle class was an 1100 square foot brick home with 1.2 cars in the driveway. Today, middle class is 2,800 square foot, two-story with, with 2.3 cars in the driveway, meaning they've got on average. So we define middle class by what in 1960 we would have called at least upper middle class, maybe lower upper class. And so we've changed our standards of living so high across the board America that we have the richest poor people in the world.
0: So let's talk about the current state of America's economy, because we've seen inflation that has been spiraling this year. Real wages have dropped compared to inflation. Honestly, I'm, I'm shocked that anybody was surprised by the inflation, given the fact that we blew $7 trillion into the American economy last year. And then earlier in the year, we tossed another $2 trillion at the economy. And then Joe Biden just tossed another $1.2 trillion at the economy. And he's currently seeking to toss another $5 trillion at the economy. If you blow this much money to the economy, you shouldn't really be surprised that fewer people are working and inflation is is going up. But what do you think are the the systemic risks to the economy? Do you think inflation comes back under control, or do you think that that this is going to be embedded in in the future of of America's economy?
1: I'm hopeful it comes under control uh, for multiple reasons. Um, I'm with you. I think the reason part of the reason for the inflation is this ridiculous government policy of just printing money like there's no tomorrow and throwing it at everything and paying people to not work. But the other thing that's caused this particular piece of inflation, it's very unusual. And I didn't see it coming. But I looking back on it, I kind of feel like I should have seen it coming. Anytime there's an earthquake at sea, uh, following that, there's a tsunami. If it's a major earthquake at sea. So you'll get a 10 story wave that hits the the shore days later or hours or whatever later after the earthquake at sea. The earthquake at sea was the pandemic. We shut the economy completely down. We shut down all factories. We shut down all supply chain. We shut down all production and most consumption, but not all of it. And, And then we put people back to work sort of, but we paid them to not work. So we disrupted the supply chain, we disrupted the supply demand of goods and services, And we disrupted the labor markets with this ridiculous policy coming out of Washington, continuing to pay people not to work. And so we've had this perfect storm that has resulted in unbelievable spikes in almost every category. The only category that's not caused by this is oil, and that's caused by shutting off pipelines and ridiculous policy again out of uh, shutting down supply. It's a supply-demand curve. Anytime there's a shortage, you see a jump in price. Shortage of toilet paper, jump in price. Shortage of gasoline, jump in price. Shortage of labor, jump in price. Anytime that, that, That's a supply-demand curve from the seventh grade. So my hope is that two things will occur over the next five to ten years to do away with this. One is after the tsunami, the waves go out and we repair and get back to a fairly normal capitalistic society again. And my hope is, is that we change administrations and quit spending money like a drunken sailor.
0: Do you think that there is something to the theory that many Americans over the past year and a half have been so comfortable with being dependent on government that a lot of people just aren't going back into the workforce? This is one of my concerns that you see the labor force participation rate in Western civilization dropping radically nearly across the board. I mean, right now, our labor force participation rate is like 61 percent. So meaning all working age adults, uh, only 61 percent of them are, are actually working among younger people. It's much lower than that. A huge percentage of them are not working. And, and I just wonder if so many people are just getting addicted to the government help, that they're not going to go back into the workforce at all.
1: Right. And so we have to do away with the uh, source of their addiction. Uh, I mean, we have to cut co- the government. Help is out of control because we're helping people that don't need help. Uh, meaning that we're paying people to not work that are able-bodied and, and could get work, and there's plenty of work out there to do right now. Uh, tremendous labor shortages in several industries right now, and so uh, you try running a restaurant right now. Oh my gosh, it's awful. Try getting a, a you know hotel beds made. Uh, ridiculously hard. Uh, so the people in the service industries uh, that were the first ones that got hurt the most uh, with the pandemic, quarantine, and the shutdowns. Uh, it was the lower socioeconomic rungs. They're the ones that haven't come back. And they're, they're the ones that are holding up, uh, you know, the economy from moving again. And it's all caused by these extended uh, out of control government programs. And it's not being helpful. They're trying to be helpful. But what, that's not helpful to that person 10 years from today to teach them to not work.
0: We'll get to more with Dave Ramsey in just one moment. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. So you got the great mattress. Your your room is the right temperature, but you're not sleeping well. Maybe it's because you bought a set of sheets from like that local store and it wasn't a very nice set of sheets. You haven't thought about it. Here's the thing. You need a great set of sheets. This is where Bull and Branch comes in. This Cyber Week, Bull and Branch is offering their best deal of the entire year. And if last night's sleep wasn't incredible, their sheets will make all the difference. With Bull and Branch, you can get the best sleep of your life with their highest quality organic cotton sheets. Husband and wife team Scott and Missy Tannen founded Bolin & Branch to create a new standard in bedding by doing things the right way, not the easy way. Bolin & Branch holds themselves to high standards across the board. It's not just their sheets that are made the right way. They do pillows and bath towels and robes as well. Their signature hem sheets, those are the all-time bestseller. We have a pair of those. They're just spectacular. In fact, Their sheets are so good, we got rid of all of our other sheets. That's just how comfortable they are. This cyber week, gift your loved ones the best sleep of their lives or treat yourself with Bowl & Branch. Their holiday packaging and famously soft sheets, blankets, pillows, and more make a difference everyone will feel. Get 25% off from November 23rd through December 2nd with their best offer of the year at bowlandbranch.com. That's 25% off at B-O-L-L and branch.com. Exclusions may apply. We're speaking with Dave Ramsey. He has a brand new book out called Baby Steps Millionaires that is well worth the read. So Dave... A lot of people have a bunch of money that the government stuffed in their pocket over the course of the last couple of years. While they were being told not to go to work, the government was just sending them checks, just helicoptering cash to people. And right now, obviously, we've seen inflation eating away at those savings. And a lot of people thinking, okay, I'm just leaving that money in the bank to do nothing exactly. Where would you recommend that people put their money? Because right now, it seems like people are just throwing money at consumer goods because they don't know what else to do with the money. We've seen people investing in a wide variety of sort of new investment types. Uh, ranging from cryptocurrencies to things like NFTs. Now, wh- where would you recommend that people put that money if they've got money lying around right now?
1: Well, anytime you get desperate, right after that, financially, you get stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done it. And, you know, if you start getting desperate and you're freaking out over the, the spike in inflation or you're freaking out all, over all these disturbances in the economy and you go to some kind of desperate move to get rich quick in some unproven process, uh, that's just not wise. And so I can tell you what I'm personally doing. I'm personally continuing to do what I've done for 30 years. I buy mutual funds and long track record mutual funds in my 401k and outside the 401k. And I buy real estate that I pay cash for. It's very simple, very boring, nothing sexy about it. I don't get to tell my golfing buddies some story that, that made me look brilliant. Uh, but, you know, it's resulted in several hundred millions of dollars of net worth. So it's working out OK. So let's
0: talk about your, your actual book, the, the baby steps in the book that help people become a millionaire. So what, what are those steps?
1: Well, it's the baby steps that we have taught for almost 30 years in Financial Peace University and in our, in our other books. And so if you've read other Dave Ramsey books, you're not going to be shocked when you open this one up. But what we found out was that was that now that we've been doing this so long, there's tens of thousands of millionaires that are millionaires because they work this plan that we taught them 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 18 years ago. And they're coming into our office to do those debt-free screams that we do on the radio. And they're saying, oh, by the way, when I paid off my house the other day, it's worth $450,000. I've got a little over a million in my 401k, so I'm worth a million and a half. I'm a baby steps millionaire. And that's where it comes from. They followed the baby steps. Baby step one through three is basically get out of debt and build your emergency fund. This book is about four through six, and four is put 15% of your income into retirement. Now, the average household income is 60000 If you put 15% of 60000 away from age 30 to age 65, you'll have between 5 and $10 million in your mutual funds. And so if I'm 10x, 5x wrong, which I'm not, you'd still be a millionaire. You know, and and th- that's how ridiculously simple this is. Now, that's not billionaire. You're not going to have seven Lamborghinis and a private jet. A billionaire is a thousand million. There's a lot of difference in Elon or uh, you know some of the other guys out there that we talk about, the Warren Buffetts of the world. There's a lot of difference in those guys and a millionaire. A millionaire's living in a middle class house, got two cars, got a nice Ford pickup most of the time.
0: So when do you think that it's worthwhile to take risks? So a lot of your strategy is about making sure that you don't take risks because a lot of risks fail. And if you're trying to just build a nest egg of wealth and make sure that you have wealth for the future and for retirement, a lot of that rests in in making smart, predictable, safe moves. When do you think that it's, it's worthwhile to take a risk and, and actually
1: take a swing? It's about ratios. Uh, I would take a swing with an amount, and the way I always visualize it is if I put that amount of money in the middle of my kitchen table and set fire to it, meaning the risk goes poorly, we lose the whole thing, okay? Does it affect my life? Is this a a major setback? Uh, And if the answer is no, then you can take a swing with that amount of money. And so if you want to invest in Beanie Babies or Bitcoin or gold or you've got this itch to start a business and you don't know what the flip you're doing, uh, as long as you're not betting the whole farm on it and sliding all the chips forward like James Bond at the poker table going all in, you know, that's the people that lose everything. And, uh, and then they get the opportunity to start again, and, and so don't do that. But if you're going to take a risk, for instance, I don't buy single stocks, and I don't recommend single stocks, but you can make a lot of money in a single stock. I always tell people that are itching to do that, put no more than 10% of your net worth in that. So if you've got a $2 million net worth, and you've got $200,000 in single stocks, and they all go belly up. You're still okay. You got a 1.8 million dollar debt worth. You're going to be all right. You know, you're okay. Everything's fine. But where everybody gets crazy is when their whole thing is based on a ridiculous high risk premise.
0: One of the things you talk about in in the book is baby step number seven, which is about living and and giving and and being generous. So how does that make your life richer and and how does that make you better financially?
1: Well, here's what's interesting. I mean, we started the the, the whole conversation with the idea. This is Thanksgiving Day. We're grateful. Uh, is that People who are grateful are generally generous. People who are generous are generally grateful. And and by the way, those are two personal character qualities that make you highly attractive. Everybody wants to be around you, not because they're trying to get money off of you, but generous people are just generous. They're generous in conversation. They're the ones that hold the door for you. They're not above picking up the plate after dinner and taking it to the dishwasher when you're at someone's home. You know, Generous people are givers. They're not takers. And we all know both kinds of people. And, And here's what's interesting. That's a decision. You can just decide today, I'm a generous person. It's not a gene. You're not born with it. It's not a DNA. It's not an amount of money. I'm just going to be a person who adds value to situations, not takes value. I'm not a parasite. I'm someone that adds value. And so generosity, oddly enough, changes the person's appearance. It changes the way they carry themselves. It changes the octave you use when you're speaking. It changes so many things that are not quite discernible, but are right there to where we all know who that guy is, that gal is that's generous. And they tend to move into tremendous opportunity in their lives, and they tend to prosper more than the takers do. The odd thing is the the taker, the greedy person, is trying to prosper by climbing over people's bodies, and that's the very thing that holds them back.
0: I found this is so true in in my life and and in business generally, is that the people who tend to think that they are the most successful are the people who think that they're the most cutthroat, and that's not the way the business really works. If you make a deal with somebody and you slit their throat in the deal, that is not a repeat customer. That is not somebody you can do business with again. If you make a deal that is good for both sides, You're going to do business with that person over and over and over again because everybody has benefited from the deal. This is something that I think critics of of free markets just do not understand is that capitalism is a repeat game. It is a repeat iteration game. It is not like you, you have one deal in front of you. And whatever you get from this deal is what you get from that deal. It is a game where you're gonna have to come back to that same table and you're gonna have to make a deal with the person next time around. And what we have found in in all studies of human psychology is that if you screw that guy this time, he is absolutely gonna try to stick it to you next time.
1: Yeah, and worse than that, they're gonna tell everybody they know. To stay away from you it's not just you lose the one customer you lose their entire tribe you lose everyone they have influence with and so you know my friend rabbi daniel lapin that you and i have discussed several times uh you know he, he says if you go to the auto repair shop and the guy fixes your car and he walks out and you go how much and he goes ah it was a, it was a 25 cent part don't worry about it just remember me you will remember that guy but if you go to the guy and he messes you over he's not in business in two years because an auto repair guy who does a great job is a unicorn. Everybody's going to send somebody there. You know, that's a, I'm going to tell all my friends I found one. You know, I found a good one. And the opposite is true if he messes me over. And so this idea that somehow uh, capitalism without a moral component to it uh, works is ridiculous. It doesn't work. That's not how capitalism works. Capitalism is an act of service. And when you serve someone well, uh, you know they get the. But another buddy of mine says, uh, Ken Blanchard says that profit is the applause your customers give you. You know, and they say thank you. They say thank you, Ben Shapiro. I got to listen to you. You're one of the hottest things in talk radio right now. We're so proud of you, by the way. You're an incredible talent, and I'm honored to call you a friend. But, I mean, this guy right here is do- well, look what he's doing in America right now. He's moving the needle. He's causing a ruckus everywhere he goes and making people think different and challenging on, on an intellectual level instead of an emotional level. He's bringing value to the marketplace, and guess what? Prospering out your ears, and you should.
0: First of all, really appreciate the praise and back at you on all of that. Let's talk for a second about the American dream because we've been told by nearly every politician that the American dream is dying or dead. And, and it's, a, it's a good political pitch because if you tell everybody that their own problems are not their fault, it's the fault of the system, and that you are capable of fixing all of the faults in the system so long as you are given power... A lot of people have a tendency to believe that. It's a really attractive notion that you never have to look inward. You never have to blame yourself. You never have to look at your own decision-making process. You can just say it was the system that screwed me over. And if I give this guy over here the power to do what he says he can do, he will make my life better. Then, of course, we find out five minutes later he can't make it all better. And then we get angry at him and we throw him out for the other guy. And and we just keep going around in this cycle. One of the points that you're constantly making is that not only is the American dream not dead, the American dream is more possible for more people than it ever has been. It's Thanksgiving. Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, this the wonderful digital world that we live in, I mean, the way we're doing this interview right now was not available five years ago. And so, I mean, the money that someone can make on a YouTube channel, the money they can make with a podcast, the money they can make with a digital application of content of any kind right now, there's all kinds of the ways to deliver product out of your garage that just simply wasn't possible in an analog analog world. And, and so, uh, I mean, the, the opportunities are infinite out there if your brain is screwed in right. And here's the thing. Racism is real. It's a problem. Sexism is real. It's a problem. All kinds of isms that are systemic are real. And there are all kinds of jerks out there that that do people wrong, that are immoral, that don't function properly in our culture today, bring toxicity to these discussions. And it is systemic. It is systemic. But it is the system you live in. So you got to decide, am I going to ride the wave of negative into victimhood and entitlement, or am I going to rise above whatever the thing is that's coming at me? And, uh, you know, I, I I'm, have a southern accent. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was told uh, 30 years ago when we started in radio that we would never succeed in talk radio because no one's going to listen to that hillbilly drawl. And if you don't move to L.A. or move to New York and drop that accent, you're never going to have credibility because everybody's going to think you, you broadcast from a double wide. Uh, but we got 638 radio stations, Sean Hannity's number one, talk radio, I'm number two. So apparently they were wrong. But I had to overcome that with a Boston affiliate. I had to overcome that with a New York City affiliate, a Miami affiliate, because people speak northern and Miami more than they do southern these days. But, you know, and so on. And so I had to actually be intelligent in spite of my accent. Hello so you got to rise above this stuff and I talk about my friend Condi Rice in the book as well and uh, she grew up in uh, in a segregated Birmingham Alabama rough in those days it was nicknamed bombingham. It was bad and uh, and, and you know first black Secretary of State female right first black. Uh, President, uh, provost at at Sanford, female, concert pianist, uh, just incredible renaissance woman. I mean, her purse is smarter than me. It's ridiculous. But the things she's been able to accomplish, because her parents said it doesn't matter where you come from. All that matters is where you're going.
0: Well, the book is, again, Baby Steps Millionaires. That's Dave Ramsey. You should give a listen to his show, of course, if you if you haven't already. It is inspiring. It is, it is filled with wisdom. And so is the book. Dave, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
1: You too, my friend. Next time you're in Nashville, holler, we'll get together again.
0: Sounds great.